Good morning. It is good to see you all this morning. Welcome to Conroe Bible Church. If you are one of our guests this morning, we want you to know that you are most welcome. I'm glad that you're with us. I've got just a few announcements to make before we be before we begin our time of worship. Um, and the first one is this is the week of kids camp. This is the week um, that that is going to begin. And I have been given um, word from Adam that uh, even though the registration is closed on Church Center um, and through our website, um, it is not too late to get your kids involved. Um, so if you still would like to do that, please see Adam um, to see about um, participating in kids camp. Also, today after the services is when they're going to begin decorating uh, the building for kids camp this week. And so if you can hang around to help, lunch is provided, I am told. And if there's not enough lunch, then there will be facilitation of fights for lunch that Adam will oversee. Yes. All of that came from Adam. So please hang around and help decorate if you can do so. Um, this coming Friday at 6.30, it's July 22nd, at 6.30 up here at the church will be game night. Um, please feel free to come and bring a snack and enjoy the time together playing board games with one another. And then the next week, July 26th through 28th, if you have a, a kid in the student ministries, there is a summer mission that is set up for those kids to be a part. Um, and you can check out that information on Church Center as well or through the website. Um, but that's all I have, so stand with me, and we'll begin our time of worship together. We stand and lift up our hands, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Bow down and worship him now. How great, how awesome is he! And together we sing, everyone sing. Holy is the Lord God Almighty, the earth is filled with his glory. It's rising up all 
Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the love that you give us freely through your son, Jesus. We thank you that while we have found ourselves hopeless, you come to see us, you come to rescue us. We thank you for your great love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And if you're one of our kids, K through 5, you can be dismissed to kids' worship. <laughs> Welcome to Conroe Bible Church. <clears throat> Gwen and I just returned from... Uh, Three weeks, three and a half weeks in Montana, and um, it's such a huge contrast to here. It is lush and green up there. They're getting all the rain that we are not, uh, but every day was filled with the beauty of God's creation and lots of uh, hiking and trails and history, and uh, we are restored, I think, filled with joy and extremely happy to be back with our church family here. So uh, we're excited about that. And we got a real uh, treat today. We've got John and Casey Price. So John, if you're going to come up here, I'm not sure if Casey's going to follow. Casey, stand real quick and we'll give you guys a CBC welcome. <laughs> Thanks. So John has been with us over the years, and uh, the only reason he hasn't been with us full-time is because he's just always all over the world serving Jesus. And so the Lord has given him a rich calling in his life. Uh, the last few years have been serving pastors and churches and especially resourcing them so that they can further the kingdom in their service of Jesus and proclaiming the gospel. And I know uh, many of us, many of you, have supported uh, John uh, financially and especially with prayer. And uh, so I wanted you to hear from John today. John and Casey are heading out on uh, a new uh, venture, a, a new calling of the Lord. So I'm going to turn it over to you, to John, and I guess you need to introduce uh, Casey to us as well. I will. But tell us what the Lord is doing in your life. Thanks, Dave. Um, this is my wife, Casey. We have our two-year anniversary in three days. So yeah. I got that right? Congratulations. Okay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> So God uh, has thoroughly, thoroughly blessed me. Uh, last time I was here was 2015, I believe. And I spoke about going and serving missionaries and going to where they were. And so I'd quit um, my job and, and did that. And I, swore to God, I told God, I said, I said, I'll never be a missionary. And he said, no, I want you to go do missions. I said, okay, I'll be a missionary, but I'll never be a pastor. I had a lot of nevers. Don't, don't do that with God. Okay, don't, don't say never. And me and Casey were friends for years. Um, I was helping serve on some archaeological excavations, and she was the photographer, and she just graduated with her master's in biblical languages, so Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. So when I'm preaching, she's checking every word. And she is uh, wonderful and full of grace, and I am extremely, extremely blessed. Um, since, since that time, 2015, I embarked on missionary care, something that I didn't know existed, but I knew it was needed. And in that time, um, testimonies from missionaries and pastors have been, I, I, I wouldn't still be doing this if you hadn't come to see me. Um, why, why, why did people send you? I can't believe people sent you to come see me that just love me without ever knowing me. Uh, we saw, uh, we've seen hundreds and hundreds of people come to know Christ to receive Jesus 
even last week we're at a youth camp and that was the theme verse was the first John 4 7 through 12 about loving one another and we had kids and parents come to know Christ and so so God has done great things all over the world Africa India Haiti um, in, in Canada, in, Nor- in Montreal, in New York. We have missionaries in Israel. We just came back from Israel. Um, people are being encouraged. And the, and the people they're ministering to are seeing that the family of God cares for them. And that's the family of God we're inviting them into. You know, the best kind of church is a Philippians-type church, a church of love. And I think this church is that. You have people who are loving and supportive and pray and even when I didn't have as much direction, even when I didn't think I was supposed to be in ministry, you have people in this congregation that supported me and now supported us. And you have elders and pastors, a pastor, who saw past where I was and saw what God was doing. They had, they had glasses of, of heaven on and they said, no, no, God has things for you to do. Christ is sufficient. Like the gospel needs to be proclaimed. Go out and you have a pastor who loves the gospel and loves God's word and sees the, the, the diamond in the rough and, and truly disciples with love and prayer and intentionality. And that's what they've done in my life. I know your elders have done that in my life and people in this congregation have done that in my life. And so I just want to say thank you that you are a church that loves well. Um, what's next for us? We're doing, we've done missionary care and we're still going to be building that to have others come and serve in missionary care because we have a heart for that. But our big calling is we're going, we plan to move to Montreal. Why Montreal? If anyone, does anyone know where Montreal is? <laughs> okay, okay. It's in Quebec. And Quebec is in Canada, but Quebec is like the weird French Texas of Canada, okay? They always have a vote every year to secede from, from Canada itself. <laughs> and it's a, a very large party there. There's several different parties. And they're, they're strictly French-speaking. All the signs are in French. They want to maintain their heritage. And they are one of the, poor, the poorest province in Canada. And Montreal as a city has less than 2% Christian. That's including Catholic, including every denomination. So it's the lowest percentage of Christians in all the Americas, as far as a major city. It's a, it's a dark place. It's a place where people are materialistic. They have no hope. They don't, if you ask them who God was, they, they don't know. They ask them what the Bible is. They don't, they don't know. And so they're, they're ripe for someone to come and and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's a church planting organization whose plan is to plant 21 churches. It's called Church 21. They're next 29 church plan. They're part of the, the Evangelical Fellowship of Baptist of Quebec. And even though they're not really Baptist, but they baptize in immersion, believer baptism. And so that's the church we want to go be a part of. They have five church plants right now, mm-hmm. and they plan to plant 21 of them. And so all their pastors have raised funds and go to the people and say, people sent us here that love you and want you to know Jesus. And two pastors are trained. I'll be going through seminary this semester and next semester. 
and, and until I finish, but <laughs> I, not just two semesters, but, but I, uh, I will be working as a pastoral apprentice, working in the church. It's very hands-on getting to do ministry. So I don't just die in books, but also get to do hands-on application. Uh, as I do that, they're paying for seminary. I just have to get there. That's their deal. They're a great group of men who love the Lord and women and wives and families. And because they're there for one reason, because they truly want Jesus to be known. And there's no other reason they're there, sacrificing and giving to these people. So we do need your prayers and we covet your support because it means the world to us. And that's where we're going, going to a dark place. Uh, we have the next two months to see where our support level is. And then, and then hopefully launch by the end of the year. That's our, that's our deadline. And hopefully before it gets too cold because they're very, very cold winters. Um, my wife grew up mostly in Hawaii, so please pray for her. <laughs> okay, that's going to be a very hard transition for her. I have a beard, so it's okay, um, even though I am from Texas. Uh, we currently live in Virginia where she was finishing school. And so we are excited to pursue the Lord and work through God's visible local church up there and, and share the gospel with others. And we are so encouraged to have, to know that we have a church body that supports us and prays for us. And I am supremely confident in your elders and your pastor and how they've ministered to me um, over the years. So thank you. Thank you. And, and God will have the glory because he is good and his mercy will be received and known and his grace is so, so sufficient. So thank you, church, and we love you. Thank you, don't, don't turn it off yet. This is very exciting, uh, John, and I've asked John and Casey to be in the hallway outside the doors following the service so that you can connect with them, uh, get on their email list, uh, find out ways that you can support them through prayer or financially afterward. Can you give us two or three prayer requests uh, right now that we can be praying for? Sure. Um, you can be praying for the, the hearts in Montreal, the people, that they will receive the good news. Um, you can be praying for the churches that are there that go through discouragement. Uh, and it's a dark place and they face a lot of opposition and it's becoming more and more. Um, you can pray for us as we go, that God will prepare us well, financially and emotionally and spiritually prepare us. And there's things that we have to go. So there's already things in place where you have to plan to give, put your assets in places with your wife because there's laws in Canada that we know if we preach the word of God, we can go to jail. So that's currently the landscape there and we're in the most progressive dark area. So that is prayer request, protection and preparation and for hearts to be prepared. Those would be the right. three, three things. Will you guys join me in praying for John and Casey? Father God, we thank you that uh, you are completely in control of this situation. And we thank you that the gates of hell shall not prevail against your church. And we ask that as John and Casey go out, <clears throat> that in these uh, coming months, you would prepare them well. You've called them and they've uh, obeyed and they are uh, surrendered to go and they are excited. And we ask that you would give them a unique oneness in their ministry together. We pray that you would provide for them with intercessory, intercessory prayer warriors. We pray that you would provide for them financially 
and prepare them in all the ways that uh, we certainly don't know about and even they may not uh, be aware of. We pray for the churches, the five churches that are being planted now, Lord, that you would give them stamina and strength, uh, that they would be truly uh, your light shining on a hill and that, that uh, your gospel would go out clearly. And we pray for the, the vision of the 21 churches, that even now you'd be preparing more hearts of people to come and fill those positions. We thank you, Lord, uh, that we can partner in this, that we can be a part of what you're doing in the world, and we ask for great and mighty things to be done through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Casey. All right. Let's turn to God's Word. We're in uh, Psalm 1 this week, and uh, I was thinking about uh, how decisive a coin flip is this week when, it's, when you have two options, and normally they're just used in, like, uh, simple disputes, right? They're not, they're not making major decisions. But there is one uh, historical decision that kind of altered the, the uh, history of a, a particular city in the Northwest. Uh, the, the city of Portland, Oregon, was uh, settled by two primary pioneers, uh, Asa Lovejoy and Francis Pettigrove. They, uh, they both had land and they split the 640 acres that was currently known as the Clearing, which is where Portland, Oregon was going to be. And, uh, and there, a dispute arose because they each wanted to name this clearing, this 640 acres, uh, according to their hometown back on the East Coast. So Asa is from uh, Portland, Maine, and, and or excuse me, Asa is from Boston, and, and uh, uh, Francis is from Portland, Maine. And, uh, and they just can't resolve this dispute. So they decide to flip a coin, and they do two out of three in a little parlor over in a home in Oregon City. And uh, the two out of three comes up, and uh, now I've forgotten who's from Portland, Maine, but whoever's from Portland won and named the city Portland, Oregon. And uh, that simple coin flip was decisive between two choices. Well, today, Psalm 1 points out two choices uh, for us, two ways of life, if you will. There's even two types of people in here and two destinies for those people. And as we look at Psalm 1, we realize that we have to make a decision about how we're going to follow Jesus, about how we're going to live. And of course, this is Old Testament. This is written, uh, this is a song of, of uh, Israel. It starts this, the book of songs. And, uh, and I think it's there for a reason, to cause us to choose wisdom, to choose the joy-filled life that God has for us. And because life is far too important, for coin flips. The Lord, by his grace, gives us the two directions. He gives them to us clearly so that we can understand what the two choices are, how simple it is between life and death. 
between righteousness and wickedness, between living a godly life and ungodly life. So that's what we're going to look here in, in Psalm 1. I invite you to turn with me. We're in this series of the Psalms this summer called Soundtracks for Everyday Life. And we say that because uh, Casey, uh, you know, has all these uh, degrees in, in biblical languages. And she made it clear that there is a psalm for every experience in life. Isn't that fantastic? And I think this one's at the start of the Psalms to get us oriented to the path, the way of life that God wants us to take. And of course, these are songs. These are lyrics to songs. And so they tend to evoke emotion more than they do just pure logic. This is not the Apostle Paul writing to us. But the, the emotion I think that is here is that there is a joy-filled life to be experienced. And that joy-filled life comes in treasuring God's word. We cherish it, we process it, we incorporate it in our lives, we listen to the Holy Spirit teach us. So I'm getting way ahead of myself. I do want to show the two ways of life from chapter 1, verse 6. And this is what uh, the psalmist says. He says, certainly the Lord guards the way of the godly. So that's one way, the way of the godly, the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked ends in destruction, the way of the ungodly, those who have no room for God in their lives. And the result of those two ways is actually presented in the first word of the psalm and in the last word of the psalm. The first word in verse 1 is blessed. In the Hebrew, anyway, we start out how blessed. And the last word is perish or destruction. So the way of life is the joy-filled life, the way of the righteous, the way of the godly. The way of the ungodly leads to destruction, leads to death, if you will. Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm, and then we got these choices, and I think it's by God's grace that he points out these two ways of life so that we can understand the way of the joy-filled life so that we can understand what our guide is the God's word is our guide and so that we can understand how he works in and through us to impact this world so let's jump in we're going to look at, at three different movements here verses one and two three and four and five and six is how I have put it together today in the outline and in Psalm 1 and verses 1 and 2, we see this, that the joy-filled life treasures God's word. The person who experiences the joy-filled life, the person who chooses the way of life is the person who chooses the right influence for their life. We don't want to be people who just follow the crowd uh, around us. And so we've got to choose our friends wisely, and we've got to choose our guide, which we'll see here is, is God's word. The, start, the psalmist is going to start in verse 1 by stating three influences that we should avoid, that should be prohibited in our life. And this is what he says in verse 1. How blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the assembly of scoffers. 
The first word in the, in the Hebrew, in the original language here, is the word blessed. We start out, how blessed, because we have trouble really understanding this concept and, and, and grasping it and putting it into our language. You, you look up the commentaries and, and you'll see that one of the definitions is happy. And so we can say, well, if you want to be happy, this is what you do. But that's really confusing, right? Because there's a lot of sin that makes you happy for a short period. But that's not the blessed life that God wants for us. This word applies to every person who is right with God and enjoys the spiritual joy and the spiritual peace of being in right relationship with God. You could throw in the word contentment. You could use the word joy, which I just did. And that's why I'm referring to it as the joy-filled life. I believe that it's best captured by the word freedom. And so I want to stretch our thinking a little bit and, and insert that thought into our thinking about the joy-filled life. The person who is blessed is free of the constraints and the consequences of sin and foolish choices. In other words, if we are truly in right relationship with the Lord and we're walking with him and we're experiencing a blameless life, which is not a perfect life, it's not a sinless life, but it's a life that keeps short accounts of sin, then we are experiencing his joy and his peace and his love. All the fruit of the Spirit are now being produced in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And that produces a freedom for us because once we start to choose the way of destruction, then our hands are tied and we begin to deal with confusion and regret and guilt and shame that the Lord never meant for us to have. He wants us in a relationship where we're experiencing his grace and we have the freedom to live and to serve him. Freedom of heart and mind comes from a right relationship with God. Freedom is found in right relationship with the Father. So our walk gives us greater freedom, and I believe that's a, a key aspect of the blessed life. Psalm 128, verse 1, we're going to put it on the screen for you here. It, it shows the, the correlation here, the connection between uh, this joy-filled life and walking with Jesus. How blessed is every one of the Lord's loyal followers each one who keeps his commands. So we've got that connection there, the one who is walking with Jesus, who's pursuing him. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and forth here between the Israelites and the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'm going to refer to us as followers of Jesus because that's what we are if you've placed your faith in Christ. So what we have here is those who pursue Jesus, who seek to keep his commands, who fear God and keep his commandments are blessed. God in his grace wants to protect our hearts and minds. It's nice to feel free from confusion and doubt and guilt and shame. God in his glory wants his name to be magnified. And that's going to take place every time that we choose to keep his commands, that we choose to honor him with a loving obedience, that we choose to respond to him with purity and obedience and integrity in our lives.
Verse 1 again says this, How blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the assembly of scoffers. The bottom line is this, that the joy-filled life is not a life in which we are open and receptive to the patterns and the principles and the thoughts of the world system. That world system that influences us that is orchestrated by Satan himself world system that is against Christ. John mentioned some of the things that go on in Montreal, go on in Canada because of that. Pastors are put in jail for speaking the truth. We see some of that in our, in the, in our country as well, uh, occasionally, but it's much more random. We are not to be open and receptive to the evil influence of the world's thinking. And so note the increasingly deeper involvement in sin here the counsel it, it moves from this ungodly counsel where we just seek a little bit of advice to all of a sudden going to collusion in scoffing and in mocking the righteous mocking christ at some point we cross the line it's a line that we can't see it's not drawn in the sand but it's a line that we've got to be very aware of. And when we're treasuring God's word, then we become much more aware of sin, right? Isn't that the story of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6? He sees God in all of his glory. And he becomes very aware, not just that he's a, a sinful man, that he can sin, but he can be specifically convicted of his unclean lips. He says, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He becomes specifically convicted of sin. And that's what happens the more intimate we become with God. We become more aware of sin, but the, the opposite is true as well. That the less intimate we are with God, the less room we have for God in our life, the less we walk with him, the less we're concerned in keeping this relationship with God, the more likely we are just to cross the line and not even realize that's taken place. We want to be a people that treasure God's word. We want to be a people that live the joy-filled life. Our problem is often that we end up looking and sounding like the world around us. We are to be in the world, but not of it. We are to live here and be a light. We are to minister to the world. We're to have an impact as we bring Christ through his grace and truth to the world. But we are not to be affected by the world so that we begin to practice the practices of the world. We don't want to be joining those that are against Christ in the world system. Avoiding the world's pattern of thought is tough because we're immersed in it, right? Every influence comes at us and it comes with very enticing properties and elements and dynamics to draw us away from the purity of simple devotion to Christ. We are immersed in it and we have to be aware of that. My uh, daughters in Montana went tubing down the Clark Fork River. I did not because I was too scared. The river was very high, moving very fast, and it was very cold. 
And uh, so I set that one out. But when they went, they also dragged along a bag of refreshments with them that was sitting in the icy water. It was immersed in the icy water so that these drinks, these refreshments, would stay cold. That's a good picture of how we are in the world. We are simply immersed. We don't choose to be immersed or not to be immersed. We are immersed. And so we have to treasure God's word so that we have some way of combating, so that we have some way of seeing where the lines are drawn, so we can understand the difference between the practices and principles of the world system that are lead us away from Christ and that which is given to us by Christ. I thought of a simple application it might work for me, it might work for you, but your next decision, your next choice, and, and you don't want to flip a coin, but even as you make a decision, you, you might go to a friend and say, you know, I've made this decision or I'm thinking of making this decision about this, and, and this is a friend that hopefully pursues Jesus as well. And just ask them, does this sound more like the principles of the world or does this sound more like biblical principles? Because we all have blind spots and we're not always sure when we've crossed the line or not. And so that might be a way that would help us to discern where are we. I came across this uh, saying this week on one of the people that wrote about this psalm and uh, he said this, misery loves company. We've all heard that, right? Well, sin loves company as well. And that's why there are sinners and wicked and scoffers who sit on the sidelines and are constantly pulling at us, enticing us, seeking to entangle us, entangle us in the ways of the world. We've got to live and interact with the world as those who bring the light to the world to darkness. So we're to avoid the ways of the world if we want to experience the joy-filled life that God has for us. And in verse 2, he gives us something positive that we can pursue, that we can set our minds and hearts on. We can choose our direction. This is what he says in verse 2. Instead, he finds pleasure. She finds pleasure. The word is gender neutral here. The person who pursues Jesus finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands. He or she meditates on his commands day and night. Here we see the godly treasuring God's word. We are called on to delight and discipline ourselves to go to God's word. That's the challenge that the psalmist lays out. We've got to tre treasure God's word as our greatest influence. What is your delight? Can you think of things that you delight in? Might be a vacation spot of your own. It might be a dessert. It, it might be uh, an author that you like to read. What is your delight? Are you used to having that something that, that uh, really grabs you and uh, excites you and, and bubbles up with joy that entices you? Life is far easier when we find our delight in God's word. When I first met uh, Gwen, to whom I'm married. Uh, she grew up in this area and loved the beach, specifically Galveston. And my deep-rooted 
thoughts of the beach started with three S's. It was sweaty, it was sandy, especially the ride back from Galveston with all that sand in my swimsuit. And, and it was sunburn. And I was like, you know, that's not my deal. I love the mountains. The mountains, oh man, that is so life-giving. And, um, and I learned over the years that I could cultivate a desire. In fact, I wanted to delight in the beach because the woman I love loves the beach because that's her excitement. And so I have reached the point, if you can believe this, that I chose our anniversary getaway last March in Galveston. And I enjoy a sunset on the beach. I enjoy that cool breeze coming in. I even enjoy sand between my toes. Still don't like it in my swimsuit, but I like it in my toes. I enjoy seeing the moonlight on the Gulf. I have cultivated that desire and found delight in the beach now. My family's still not sure. They're still holding out. And it all started because of the one I love. And I think that's what the psalmist is, is, is getting us to think about here. Who's the one we love? Well, it's our mighty God, our awesome God, our sovereign God. It's Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. And so if he delights in the word and he is the word, then he wants us to delight in that. He wants us to begin to treasure God's word. We must make God's word our delight. The Lord gives us direction in what we are to cultivate, delight in the word. He also calls us to a discipline. And so the, here's the great thing. God in his grace, he never just says, hey, obey me. He doesn't just say, hey, go out and do this. He says, love me. And then he shows us how we can obey him. And again, it's not to make him look good as the one who's in authority. It is to allow us to experience the joy-filled life. And so he gives us a discipline to practice. And that is the practice of biblical meditation. Biblical meditation. Treasure God's word. He wants us to delight in the law of the Lord. There are a number of great words, the word pictures that, that capture this idea of meditation. One is to mutter. And certainly we often think of muttering as kind of negative, right? You know, it's walking around muttering about everything. But it's the idea of just repeating things over and over. And so we take God's word, we take God's truth, and we repeat it over and over. Also, the, the word image of chewing on it, like a cow chewing the cud. We, we chew on it. We pray through it. We review it. We read it. We reread it. We ask the Holy Spirit to teach us, what is this saying to me? How does this deal with my situation? Biblical meditation. I, I think it's surgery for the soul. I think it's one of the most transforming things, disciplines that you can use in your life and, and allow the living and powerful word of God to transform you, to sanctify you, to do all the things that scripture is described as doing throughout the Bible. Biblical meditation. 
choose it. I've come to like hot tea in the morning. I've never been a coffee drinker, but hot tea is how I get my caffeine now. And I look at this, putting this tea bag in the water is, is similar to biblical meditation. You know, I put that tea bag in the water and if I leave it in for a couple of minutes, it turns the water a little rust color and there's a hint of flavor. But if I leave it in for seven or eight minutes or 10 minutes, it gets a rich color. It's dark, has a strong caffeine that's going to you know, get me going in the morning. And just because it's being left in there longer. And for me, that is such a great picture of biblical meditation. When you take a passage of scripture, part of God's truth, and you just chew on it and process it, and you let God's word get through you, then... It is becoming rich, and it is working on us on the inside so that our character becomes more like Christ and so that our actions begin to reflect us. Meditation on God's word will begin to give us the mind of Christ in practical ways. To treasure means more than just setting the Bible out and on display. We want to learn it and, and live it. We want to let it help us recognize the principles and patterns of the world that are against Christ. We want to help it, uh, use it to shape our thoughts and our, give us the principles and the patterns of behavior that Christ treasures and wants to see in our lives. Meditation is a great way to do that, and that's why we're told here to practice this discipline. Our delight is to be found in the law of the Lord, in God's word. And our discipline is to be cultivated through biblical meditation. I would recommend doing it. You can do that with any passage in your daily devotion. You can do that in an area that you want victory in your life. Just choose a passage that God addresses that and, and begin to go through that and pray through it and say, Lord, transform me. You can do it in an area that you want to be, have better understanding of who God is or what his grace is like. Just choose that and meditate on it. Learn from God's word. We've seen the joy-filled life comes through treasuring God's word. The next thing we see in verses 3 and 4 is that the joy-filled life experiences stability and usefulness to God. When we have meaning and purpose in life, we have direction, confidence, and hope that we are making a difference, and we love to be aligned with God. And so the joy-filled life is one that produces stability, security, productivity, usefulness to God. That's what happens when we are in right relationship with him and experience the, we, we end up experiencing the joy of fulfilling what he's got for us. In these two verses, we see the results of the two ways of life. The two ways that we can choose, either the godly way or the ungodly way. One way is stable and useful to fulfilling God's design. The other way is rootless and useless to God. So first, the results of being in the word of God through consistent biblical meditation. Beautiful verse here in verse 3. He is like a tree. She is like the tree planted by flowing streams. It yields its fruit at the proper time and its leaves never fall off. He, she succeeds in everything he or she attempts. There is prosperity for all who take their delight in living by God's word. Everything about this tree is stable and productive. 
This is not financial prosperity he's talking about. He's talking about the, the prosperity that comes in being secure in who you are and being in an intimate relationship with God. There's no more secure place to be in the world. People who experience the joy-filled life are stable and productive. So let's look at this image of the tree and what we understand about it. The first thing that we see is that the tree is stable, that it is secure. And the reason for that is because it's planted by the stream. You know, when we were up on some trails in the mountains, we could look across the valley and it was very easy to tell where the streams or the rivers were, even if we couldn't see any water, because there was a line of trees snaking through the meadows. And that line of trees is there and stable and secure because of the life-giving nature of the water. That's what he's letting us know here, that we are treasuring God's word when we are processing it, when we are living it out and applying it, then we are stable and secure. We have a source of life that is constantly flowing. And just like the water is taken in by the trees and the nutrients are extracted, the tree absorbs it all, then the tree becomes what God has designed it to do. It produces fruit, it provides leaves, it provides shade, it benefits others. And so that's what happens to us when we treasure God's word. When we're taking it in, these things are taking place internally through the work of the spirit in us. And we are having an impact in the world. We don't, the the tree doesn't take the water and then just set up sprinkler systems and, and water everything around it. No, it provides the shade, it provides the fruit. That water's transformed in it. And that's what God's word does. We don't learn God's word just with great memory banks so that we can share it with people and just speak God's word. That's very powerful. I'm always talking about bringing God's word to bear on others' lives. But it doesn't stop there. It's got to be transforming in our lives so that we experience what God wants us to, so we're becoming more like Jesus, so that we have that to share with people, so that we can disciple one another to Christ, so that we can help them understand what it means to make decisions to deal with feelings under the person of Jesus Christ. We're firmly planted when we walk with him. We have this life-grieving source of water that never ends because it's eternal in the person of Jesus Christ. The tree is also prosperous because it's productive, yielding fruit at the proper time. And so there's a distinctiveness to the tree, a distinctiveness to the fruit and to what it gives. And that is how the Lord uses each one of us. He's gifted each of us differently. He's given us all different personalities and temperaments. Not all of us are called to go to Montreal. Not all of us could go to Montreal. But John and Casey have been set aside by the Lord. You've been set aside for your family, for your job, for your sphere of influence to be used of God, to bear fruit where he has put you, that is distinctive to his work in you. We want to be people that are controlled by the influence of God's word. When we are, then our actions become godly actions. We are directed by God to do certain things, and we begin to do those. We begin to fulfill his desires 
That's the purpose of him working in us to build, to, to transform fruit. And that's where our impact in the world becomes huge. Uh, again, this isn't about us becoming um, trophies of grace that draw attention to ourselves. This is about us impacting the world with hope and with healing and with redemption and with the grace and truth of Jesus Christ through the gospel. This is where we make an impact because we're experiencing the joy-filled life through treasuring God's word and walking in right relationship with him. That's the joy-filled life. That's the person who has chosen the way of life. Now we get the person who's chosen the way of the ungodly. And we see this in verse four, not so with the wicked. Instead, they are like wind-driven chaff. The wicked are those who have no room for God in their life. The wicked are those in verse 1 that are completely anti and mocking and scorning Christ. The first two words of verse 4 here capture the state of the ungodly in relationship to God. Not so. There is no relationship with God. They don't have person. They don't have room for God in their life. And they do not delight in pursuing his word. And so... The Lord, through the psalmist, calls them chaff. And chaff is the ultimate description of that which is rootless and weightless and useless. It comes out of that winnowing process where the husk and the fragments of, uh, of the crop are tossed in the, in, in the air and the husk and fragments are blown away because they're weightless, they're useless. But the grain falls to the ground and it is used. The person who is not anchored in God, whether they are a follower of Jesus or not, is useless to fulfilling God's purposes for them. That's the description we get of the way of death. That's one of the results uh, of not treasuring God's word. And that person is blown in every direction because they're following uh, the principles and practices of the world. And those change every month, every year, right? We get influenced by this person. We start going in that direction. We get influenced this way. We get influenced by the crowd. And, and when that fad ends or that way of thinking ends, then we move on to the next. That's not what God wants. He wants us to be secure and stable by treasuring his word. The joy-filled life experiences stability and usefulness to God. We've seen that in these two verses. In the final two verses, we see that the way of life takes in eternity into account, considers the consequences, verses 5 and 6. The joy-filled life considers the consequences of our ways. And so in these two verses, the psalmist looks at the destinies of the two types of people that choose the two ways of life. The wise person who wants to experience the joy-filled life takes eternity into account and lives accordingly. There are consequences to our choices. We read this in verse 5. For this reason, the wicked cannot withstand judgment, nor can sinners join the assembly of the godly. And the first question that arises here is, what is judgment? And I would say to you, I would suggest to you that it is both present judgment. He's speaking to them then at that time, and it refers to future judgment. 
I think it's talking to those who are present because he says in verse 4, the wicked are like chaff. They're being blown away now. And, and throughout the Old Testament, we see examples of the Lord purging Israel, of taking out those who are wicked, those who choose not to fear him and keep his commandments. And, and so there's a sense of ongoing judgment in our lives, in our world. We see God's wrath in Romans 1 poured out on those who choose not to be grateful to God, choose not to consider God, choose to go their own way. And so he gives them over to their own passions. That takes place sometimes. I think there's a future judgment as well, because in verse 6, he doesn't just talk about the wicked perishing, but he talks about the way of the wicked perishing. And that won't happen until Christ returns. And in the final judgment, then there will be an eternal judgment for those who have not chosen to follow Jesus Christ. The ungodly will not be in the assembly of the righteous. They will not be in heaven with those who have made the decision to place their faith in Jesus Christ. That's the assembly of the righteous. And there's only one way to be a part of that community with Messiah. And that is to attach oneself to Messiah. The New Testament writers make it clear to us that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. And that there is no salvation in no other person, no one else than the person of Jesus Christ. And so we've got to make the choice to trust him. As Savior, I would exhort you and, and challenge you to do that today. If you haven't done that in your life, to commit your life to him, to experience the life that he has for you. And it's simple. It's through faith in Christ, simply believing that he is God, the son, that he died on the cross for your sin in your place. He paid a penalty that you could never pay. He was buried and he rose again to show his victory over sin and death. When you place your faith in Christ, then he enters your life to live, lead you. He gives you the free gift of eternal life that starts at that moment. He forgives you of your sin. He gives you his righteousness. That is an incredible thing that God does by his grace, and that is good news. And salvation, or being attached to Jesus, comes with a promise here in verse 6. Certainly the Lord guards the way of the godly, but the way of the wicked ends in destruction. The literal term in here for guard is to know. The Lord knows the way of the godly. Well, we know that mentally he knows everything. He's omniscient. He knows the way of the godly, the way of the ungodly. But this term is a little more flavorful in the sense of knowing with a sense of caring for. And so that's why in this particular version, it says guards the way of the godly. I think Eugene Peterson in the message said charts the course of the godly. And so it's a case of being known by God and empowered by God to obey God through his word. He protects us and he provides for us. There's an intimate knowledge that he has, which is used to care for us. The joy-filled life treasures God's word through a loving response to obedience to our savior. And he gives us the ability to respond to him in love. We're told that the way of the wicked ends in destruction. 
And so, as I said earlier, in present judgment, that might be the wrath of God poured out. It might be just letting people deal with the consequences of their sin. It might be giving them over to their passions. But in Romans and throughout the, all the Old New Testament, we are given the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is good news. There is opportunity for redemption and for restoration. We can place our faith in Jesus Christ. We don't have to experience his wrath because that's the final end of destruction. It's an eternal separation from God forever and ever. That's the final judgment for those who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why the Psalms start out with this. Here is the way of life. And we would say it today to know Jesus Christ as your savior to experience his forgiveness, to experience his life within you. Because those who do not will not endure judgment. They cannot last it through it on their own merit. The good news is that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross has completely satisfied the wrath of God against sin. Anyone who trusts Jesus will be forgiven of their sin and spend eternity with him. But even better, we experience the joy-filled life with him now. For the those who love the Lord, he will keep us to the end. And for those who do not, he will separate at the end. For those of us who love the Lord, who have placed our faith in Christ and still deal with sin, the good news is that his grace still redeems and restores. We can confess our sin, and scripture is so clear that he forgives us of our sin and he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. We can keep short accounts on sin so that we don't ever go down this slippery path of beginning to practice and believe the principles of the world. There are two ways to go in life. We've got to make a decisive choice, the way of the godly or the way of the ungodly. Psalm 1 by God's grace, shows us that we can experience the joy-filled life by treasuring God's word, by living in right relationship with Jesus and experiencing his grace, his truth, his majesty. So I would challenge you not to flip a coin every day, how am I going to live, but to be intentional, to choose the way of life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great love for us. And we thank you for what we know of you that is so real and practical and life-giving through salvation, uh, through daily transformation as you change us from the inside out to become more like you. We thank you that even here in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, you point us to you. You point us to the way of life that is joy-filled, that is free to live the way you designed us to live. And so we ask for the grace to respond to you in that way. Pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.
Stop. 